Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Glad to have you. Let's get right to it. All right, Dave. So it appears that Congress will yet again kick the can down the road on the debt ceiling, thanks to both Democrats and Republicans. We're currently right now at about 126% debt to GDP ratio, way higher than it was in 1960, which was 52%. 1980, it was 35%. In 2000, it was 55%. Congress created the debt ceiling for a reason. It was to stop the Treasury from going outside the, the lane of the executive and borrowing too much debt. Is there a point at which bipartisanship becomes toxic? Because it seems like the concept of fiscal discipline is just non-existent these days. Yeah, well, you bring up a very good a very good issue, Karen. Let me make a couple of points. On a micro, on a macro level, the reason I always joke, you know, both parties love to spend. Uh, the, the, the Democrats just admit it, but the, one of the two main reasons this has happened is that a interest rates have been exceedingly low, so way low for way longer than people expected. So the government can borrow money essentially for free. Secondly, a lot there were some doomsday scenarios that were put forth. Oh my God, we're going to have runaway inflation. The economy is going to crash. Interest rates are going to go through the ceiling if we keep spending like this. And none of that has happened. So I think politicians don't feel that there's going to be an accountability and this economic Armageddon that people are talking about is not going to come. But being the fair guy I am, I have to point out that prior to 1980, we never ran deficits, at least it was wartime. And Reagan, for all the good things he did, was the first president that got us living beyond our means. If you look back over the last 50 years, when has government spending, government employing, and the deficit gone up during Republican administrations? But having said that, both parties are guilty. And I think that uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I think that in, until the economy uh, continues to turn around more, you're going to see it. I also think this debt ceiling thing is really careless because most of this debt is, was incurred uh, under Trump or under bipartisan COVID relief. So to me, this is tantamount to going on a credit card binge and then stopping payment when you send the check in. It's just silly. And all it does is ruin your credit. But uh, I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't think there is an end in sight. And I see both both sides continuing to kick the can down the road because there's no economic price to pull it to be paid. And there are a lot of uh, political benefits to be derived. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think the problem is that the Build Back, I like to call it broke plan, the Build Back Broke, also known as Build Back Better to some, uh, would add even more debt. So it's not just what you're talking about, about past COVID relief. Um, this is just a whole paradigm shift of let's create a whole new sh- generation, basically, of government dependence that's going to put even more debt. You know, and, and that's what really upsets me. Um, and the fact that, as you mentioned, you know, paying down the interest on your credit cards, uh, our interest payments alone are going to start crowding out very significant needs like defense and education. Um, so I, I, we got to just tighten our belt right now. That's what I think. No, and I agree. And you know how I love my stats? Here's a stat for you. With $30 trillion worth of debt, a 1% increase in interest rates is $300 billion a year of additional debt. So we are really playing with fire. And and I agree. And as I told you before, I wish that the American Rescue Plan was being debated now and they passed the Build Back Better plan early on because that actually does have a lot of good things and it would help the economy as opposed to just handing people money, which is what a lot of the American Rescue Plan did. All right. Well, here's my here's my question for you. 
you know, it's, it now appears, despite a media freakout, that the Omicron, the dreaded Omicron variant, while being very contagious, is less virulent than thought. So I'm thinking, gee, maybe all the unvaccinated people will get a mild case of COVID and that'll make us fully vaccinated. But perhaps that's a tad cynical. But my question is, you know, what's the good balance, right? Because we have some, you know, uh, liberal people want to have vaccine mandates. We want to have conservatives ban them, you know, requiring schools to have masks, banning them, all this stuff. You're a pragmatic person. We're, that's what we do on this show. What do you think is a good balance where you understand that we can't have lockdowns again? You understand that people need to get on with their lives, but you also have to balance safety and what's best for, what's best for the general population sometimes is more important than what's best for individuals. Well, yeah, it's, 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 I love, yes, we're pragmatically political here. Um, I think the two main things that we have to consider are the Constitution and then health. And I think that uh, when you look constitutionally, uh, a lot of the mandate, uh, you know, uh, jurisprudence that they're trying to invoke is based on a, a Supreme Court case um, for the smallpox, um, where they were requiring in Massachusetts a smallpox vaccine in 1905. But the penalty then was only $5, which is about $160 today, um, which is, you know, de minimis compared to job loss um, or much more extreme measures if you're not getting it. I, I think that the the untold issue of these mandates is the testing option to say, okay, let's find a middle ground here. Okay, maybe maybe your doctor, because I, I, I'm... Generally, I think the, the the set here or the um, the preset or sort of the default should be to get the vaccine. Um, but sometimes in some cases you shouldn't get it. I mean, I got the vaccine, but I actually had side effects. I had I had significant hair loss. I was getting these fistfuls of hair loss, which I was shocked. Um, I also had my, my lymph nodes were swelling and I asked my doctor and she said, yeah, I've, I've had other patients with this too. So I think, um, you know, talking with your healthcare provider, making sure it is the, the best thing for you, carefully monitoring any you know side effects um, and encouraging people to do it. Um, but I think giving people the testing option and, and getting taxpayer support for testing, that would be something I would be much more for versus a blanket universal vaccine mandate. What about you? Well, I agree. I, you know, I think one of the things that's sad is we've been doing vaccines for generations, right? And there's never been an issue. And only under the previous administration did wearing masks get politicized. You know, and one of the unfortunate things about populism is that it, it, it means going after elites. And there's no one more elite than the scientific and the medical community. So I think there's a mistrust that has been uh, so, and let's face it, you know, being fair, the CDC and a lot of government organizations and Dr. Fauci and the rest have dropped the ball by being inconsistent. Some of it was their fault because the science evolves. Other of it was their fault because it was handled poorly. But having said all that, I agree. And I think that this freak out over vaccine mandates, what people don't often mention is that you can get tested every week. What's the big deal, right? Fine, go to work, just get tested every week. But people make it sound like if you don't get vaccinated, you're, you're going to get fired. In most of these cases, that's not true. So I think we just need to take a collective deep breath. I agree with you. The, the person people trust the most is their doctor. So they should talk to their doctors and they should get uh, what's best for them. And I think that would get a lot more people vaccinated. I do think as more people get it, as the cases are milder and more people do get vaccinated, we're creeping towards herd immunity. So we will get there sometime in 22. I'm with you there. All right, let's go to the next topic. 
Um, so there has been some conservative uh, rumblings about wanting to create a constitutional convention for both a balanced budget amendment and term limits. Now, both concepts are very popular, according to a lot of polling. Would you support either or both of those ideas in a constitutional amendment? Well, let me preface it by saying, be careful what you wish for. You know, people always think about what they like is going to come from making changes, but they don't think about the downside. So constitutional conventions make me very nervous because who knows what's going to happen in this polarized environment. We could get some things that we don't wish for. But answering your question, um, you know, I don't think that term limits overall are uh, a good idea. You know, I think we do have term limits. They're called elections. I do think that we need to reform our election system. I think term limits are simplistic at best and they are democratic at worst. And I think that you shouldn't penalize the voter voters for the for the flaws of the systems. Now, I would support term limits, for example, even the 22nd Amendment, which was passed by a reactionary one term Congress in the wake of FDR, which limits the presidents to two terms. I don't support that. The term limits I would support. And of course, I don't think this will ever pass. No one over 80 should be allowed to run for federal office. You know, it's ridiculous that Chuck Grassley is running again for the Senate at 88. I know people are going to be accused me of ageism, but that's pragmatism. Secondly, for governors and presidents, you should be allowed to serve as many terms as you want, but not more than two consecutive terms. So you have to come out and give someone else a chance. And if you're really good and people want you back, they'll have you back. Thirdly, I would support some kind of limits for the Supreme Court in terms of time. I'd like it so that every president gets to appoint one justice per, per four-year term. And that way, because too much is at stake and it's become so politicized, and that was one of the few remaining things that wasn't broken that Mitch McConnell broke. He's managed to break almost anything, everything in D.C. And that was the Supreme Court nomination process. It used to be that if you were uh, qualified even if you were conservative or liberal, you would still get a vote. You know, even Elena Kagan and Sotomayor got over 67 votes. They got uh, two thirds majority votes, but that's- I think broken. Robert Bork might have something to say about that. Yes, no, Robert Bork, before. I agree. I'm not saying it was just, I'm not saying it was just on the left, but it's become, there's so much at stake now. So those are the three types of term limits that, uh, that, I, would, uh, that I would support. But as far as the constitutional uh, amendment to balance the budget, I think that's really, really dangerous. I mean, if we if we'd had that in place during the during the financial crisis, we would have gone into a depression that would have been still lasting. Now there are times when when the when things are you know my thing is you should spend money when and lower taxes when the economy is in a hole. My major problem with the Trump tax cut, why I thought it was the worst piece of legislation ever passed, was you don't cut taxes when the economy's humming. You you know you don't need to spend more when the economy's humming. You need to spend more when the economy is in a rut to get it out of that rut. This is not complicated. So, no, I would vehemently oppose a balanced budget amendment. I think it's well, what about balanced budgets if certain conditions were met, to your point, on the economy, the state of the economy? So that if we were in crisis, then it wouldn't be in, but it would be triggered if things were actually going according to but, certain. But, Carrie, Carrie, Congress could balance the budget anytime they wanted it's just it's right, just but, but that's the point is that they're not. Move. So this would force them to. This would force them to. That's the whole. Yeah, point. but it forces them to in a dangerous way. You know, I if I could hear some of those conditions, I'd be. I would. You know me. I'm an open-minded guy. But right now, I think it's a terrible idea. And you talk to economists on both sides of the aisle, and they and they agree. I mean, you're and again, it's Congress once again just kicking the code can down the road. It's Congress chickening out because they don't want to make the hard decisions 
that they need to make. So uh, let you know. I'm open, but right now, vehemently no. So here's uh, I think my we've seen it happen. At, oh, go ahead. No, here, I was here's just going to say we've seen that happen at the state level at, where they have passed balanced budget amendments. Well, the states have so. states have had to yeah, but states have had to balance budgets for a long time, and states also can get federal money, right? So it's really it's kind of an apples and oranges thing. Um, so again, I you know maybe we just agree to disagree on that one. But again, if there, I I don't know in any of any conditions that would change my mind, but I'm I'm always open. I'm gonna look but anyway, um, here's here's my question: Is that you know one of the things that really gets to me about the Republican Party is the hypocrisy. You know, it's it's just talking about being a you know the party of the, of uh, of the government and freedom and democracy, but then promoting authoritarianism and trying to overturn elections. You know, talking about letting local entities decide, but then you know mandating vaccine mandates. The list goes on and on. So I guess one of the areas where I think the hypocrisy is the most is when the Republican Party talks about being the party of life, you know, with abortion. And so I guess my question for you is, how can a party that claims to be the party of life be the party of life when they are opposing background checks that 90% of them and gun safety rules that 90% of the country uh, supports that would keep kids from getting killed at school? How can they be a party of life when they're trying to take away kids' health care? How can they be a party of life when they support abortion, but then, but uh, or oppose abortion, but support the death penalty, putting more people to life. How can they be the party of life when they when they talk about life, but they encourage people to in, uh, be reckless with COVID and endanger those around them? I'd love to get your thoughts on that because it's really a sore point for me. Yeah, oh yeah, you covered a lot of topics there, but I think uh, generally speaking, um, I mean, let's go through them. So on the issue of pro-life uh, and abortion, um, you know, versus the death penalty. You're talking about an innocent baby versus a hardened, violent criminal who's a dangerous well, to society. Well, life is a life. I, I just think there's a the huge... Bible? But uh, the, the Bible said there is justice and that in some cases, uh, justice requires, I mean, just to protect other people. In some cases, these criminals are so heinous that if you allow them to live, uh, they could potentially destroy other lives. So life that's, I think a very, a, I think it's a, a very, but again, in these prisons, these criminals are actually a risk to the life of the guards and to the other prisoners. We've seen it. We have the evidence. This is not a hypothetical. There's that. And then on the issue of uh, background checks, I think there are lots of Republicans who support common sense and, and they do, um, you know, background checks and gun control laws. The problem for a lot of people is that the vast majority of gun violence in this country is perpetrated by illegally obtained weapons. And so the laws on the books are more than sufficient in most cases to have prevented uh, most of the gun violence. The, the, the sexy headlines that happen, um, you know, where, where we hear about the gun victims, that's only a small, tiny, tiny fraction of actual gun crimes in this country. And where do those gun crimes actually occur? Liberal Democrat areas. So until Democrats get their houses in order to stop illegal handguns, for example, I, I just think they lose moral credibility. Um, and then on the issue of children's health care. So Medicaid, there was a uh, gold standard study, basically a lottery system where everybody else was the same. And the only factor was if they got Medicaid or not. And they looked, this was, happened in Oregon. 
And they found that there was actually zero impact on the health of someone if they had Medicaid or didn't, because Medicaid is such a terrible reimbursement that people who have Medicaid behave as if they don't even have health insurance, because most outpatient and normal doctors, um, you know, family doctors, they don't accept Medicaid. You'd have to go through the, so a lot of them end up just going to the ER as it is, and it doesn't end up saving money in the long run. They also don't do preventive health care. So we have to fundamentally change how Medicaid works. And I think that includes making it more private sector competition driven the way Medicare Part D is. And then it would make it a lot more valuable for children. And what about the recklessness over COVID? My, uh, my, my first, first point where people are putting themselves, you know, we, I know we don't like to talk about the former president on the show, but he tested positive for COVID and then exposed himself to hundreds of, of people. And then had the audacity, he said, oh, maybe it was some gold star parent that gave it to me. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that people say, wow, how can this be a party that's concerned about life and the health of other people? Well, I, President Trump moved heaven and earth to get the COVID vaccine. And he did something that I don't think any other previous president would have been able to issue, do though. on the that's timeline. That's, that's, no, it is. If different. you're talking about lives saved. Um, and not to mention, you know, the states that have had the worst outcomes are states like New York, where President Trump sent the, the you know, the ship comfort. And uh, Cuomo could have moved those nursing home patients into the ship that the president provided, but that ship was almost not used at all. And you know why? Because Cuomo got a million dollars from the hospital association to his campaign for re-election. So he basically was a pay to play because he then increased their reimbursement a little bit. Um, and so uh, they they basically had him under their control. So I, again, I, I think there is, you're right that uh, hypocrisy is the universal sin in politics. I totally agree with you on that front, but I just think that the, 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 Liberal media does such uh, a very efficient job at, um, you know, bringing balance to, to lots of these questions that we're talking about today. Well, I will just I'll give a quick response as far as the uh, abortion and, and uh, death penalty goes. You know, I, I think that you can't pick and choose which lives to save. Either a life is a life or it isn't. I mean, I can make that argument. Well, there are a lot of people who. Uh, you can pick and choose and say, well, there's different there are circumstances, but either you support life or you don't. So I do think it's hypocritical to be against abortion and support the death penalty. As far as health care goes, yes, that's true. But if you look at states where Medicaid has been banned, and again, it's one thing if they said, you know what, we don't want to bring in Medicaid, but let's bring in something else. But no, I mean, there hasn't been any 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 alternative. And in states like Missouri, the voters voted to have Medicaid. And the legislature just disregarded it without even coming up with something else. So outcomes for children are worse in those states. I mean, as Casey Stengel said, you can look it up. And as as far as um, you know, if we get to the other the other health issues like uh, COVID, uh, if you look at yes, Cuomo was a disaster. Uh, you know, he handled it very poorly. And but he was praised by the media. He he got a love no, fest. Everybody I, I slobbered all I, over I, him. No no defender of Andrew Cuomo. I think he was you know, a, a dreadful man, a nasty person, and he got what he's what, what came to him. I'm just sorry that, you know, over 10,000 seniors in New York had to die. But that was in the early stages of the, of the pandemic, what you're talking about. If you look at the rates in blue states versus red states, they've actually, they've, they're actually better. And I do think, again, it's, I think you should have no mandates. I think every school should be just able to decide what's best for them. I think every small business 
should be allowed to decide what's best for them. I have a small business and we made a decision that we were not going to, because of being a spa, we're not mandated by San Francisco, which is as liberal as they come, to not require uh, people to be vaccinated. We test them at the door for temperature. We make sure they wear masks. And we haven't had one case of COVID with staff or with clients at SenSpa. And I'm very, very proud of that. But that's a decision we should make. And that's a decision that we have the right to make. And I think every business should have the right to make it. But for some bureaucrat 300 miles away to tell you for pure political points that you can't require vaccinations, particularly if you're like a cruise line in Florida, it's just insane. I agree with you there. More freedom around the board. Yeah. So, well, God, another great show. Always enjoy the conversation. Always pragmatic. Always respectful. I guess it's a little sunny where I am. You're probably seeing more of my face than you care to, folks. But in any case, thank you, Carrie. And we will see you next week on another episode of Practically Political. Yeah.